Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Good morning. Uh, this this show I want to talk about the uh, latest interest rate decision which came out yesterday. Um, it's sort of an interesting decision even though he didn't say much. Um, I wanted to, uh, Lots of people ask me questions about uh, what's the, what are the sort of mountains I've had, I've had to climb in terms of running businesses, developing businesses, selling businesses, starting up businesses. I'll, I'll have a quick chat about that. Um, and... Uh, Nick Boris is here today to talk about incubators. Um, we're going to have a chat about that. We're going to actually put, send him on a mission next week to do a bit of investigation around, in, in, around incubators. Um, I think also it's probably important just to quickly touch on the volatility of the market. <clears throat> Not so much in terms of being predictive because there's no way in the world I can be predictive about what's going to happen in the market other than say I can predict it's going to continue to be volatile. Um, but, also, but more importantly, just to talk about the concept of which asset class to invest my money in. Um, that's sort of worthwhile having a chat about. In terms of the interest rate decision, it was a, a for me it was a curious statement. Um, on the, he said, he being Stevens, um, the Reserve Bank Governor, sort of indicated in his language and his coverage um, all those sorts of things you would put out there to the public that would indicate that there should be a rate reduction or at least he's got us on hold until uh, further information comes out whereby he'll make a further rate reduction. I don't think there was anything anything that's around that suggests that we should be putting interest rates up anywhere. Now, of course, the backdrop of this is that uh, the banks have all moved their rates up out of cycle, in other words, against what the Reserve Bank has done. Um, so he has somewhat, in my view, has somewhat of a quandary, um, Whether because if I think if he had redu- reduced rates yesterday, none of that would have got passed on anyway. So he's probably thinking to himself, well, why don't I keep myself the headroom? Um, why should I reduce the official rate? This, this is what I think he's thinking. Why should I reduce the official rate, <clears throat> excuse me, notwithstanding all the indicators are there that I probably should reduce the official uh, interest rate ahead, ahead of the curve, in other words, to get ahead of any dramas in, this, in Australia's economy, if the banks aren't going to pass it on? Where's the advantage? Where's the benefit? Now, there are there are deep advantages and benefits in in a wholesale market sense, but just in terms of what's driving our economy in um, um, like particularly in the housing area um, and all that uh, household consumption that comes off the back of retail rates, mortgage rates, I don't think he can see an advantage whatsoever. So I think he decided to keep his powder dry and just hang on to that rate reduction just to give himself some more headroom in the event that some bigger disaster starts to develop in our economy and the global economies. Who knows what all this China stuff is doing at the moment um, and uh, and what effect it's going to have on Europe and also the US's um, more recent good news. Um, China, the China syndrome, the China effect, the China knock-on could have all sorts of global effects. We just don't know. And I think he might be saying to himself, well, there is potentially a problem out there, but we don't really know what the problem is. Um, and therefore, what's the point of... Uh, losing a 25 base point reduction when it's not even going to get into the hands of consumers anyway because the banks just kind of hang on to it. So, uh, so <coughs> excuse me, so the outcome is no rate reduction, notwithstanding there's a whole lot of indicators there that we're in a position to have rate reduction. So inflation's under control, gross domestic product is um, only growing at a moderate rate, therefore below par. Uh, China's uh, growth has stopped. 
Uh, Europe isn't growing very well. US is looking pretty good, um, but it's only a relative game. They're pretty good compared to how they have been. Um, our unemployment number, reasonable, um, but, you know, not out of control, but uh, certainly not making it look like, you know, there's a whole stack of jobs available. Um, uh, commodity prices, really low, down. Current account deficit, record numbers. So there's a lot of stuff there to sort of say, well, man, there's going to be a problem here. I better start to stimulate the economy or, in his words, to be accommodative for stimulation, for making the economy grow, helping the economy grow. But what's the point of giving away interest rate reduction if uh, no one's going to get it? So that was a very interesting statement given all the stuff that's going on in the banking system at the moment. And this is all intertwined with will the banks pass on the rate reduction? And the question, my view right now, is absolutely they will not. My prediction is that we'll get another one of these sorts of statements in um, October. And I think he'll do what he does every year. I don't think there's been a year pass in the last five years where he has not changed rates up or down on Melbourne Cup Day. So Melbourne Cup Day is the first Tuesday of November and everyone is out there um, partying, wearing fancy hats, having a bet, having a drink. And at 2.31, which is like 20 minutes before the races run, uh, the Reserve Bank comes out. Of course, no one's listening to what the Reserve Bank's got to say. And uh, they're all having a bet. And he comes out at 2.31 and generally speaking, there's a rate change. And uh, it's a good way to hide a rate change. Um, no one gets onto it. It gets smothered completely with all the news the next day. There's no, there's certainly not front page of the Daily Telegraph the next day that, oh, wow, there's been an interest rate change. It's always about who won the Melbourne Cup or who lost the Melbourne Cup. So uh, I reckon he'll come out then. I actually think on the on the first Tuesday of November he'll come out with a rate reduction, <clears throat> but the, none of it will be passed on. So consumers don't expect to see one cent out of the next rate reduction. The whole 25 basis points are going to be held on to by the banks. I don't really see any retail interest rate reduction available to mortgage holders for the next 12 months. I, I just don't see one coming. In fact, I see mortgage retail rates actually going up, not because the Reserve Bank's going to bring, uh, make that change, put rates up, but because banks are going to put rates up. So he won't pass on two rate reductions. He's not going to take us into that territory where the official rate's so, that's so low because that's pretty dangerous. Um, so I think uh, if he puts it, gives a rate reduction, it'll be in November. We won't see any of it. Banks will hold on to it and be prepared for another rate increase by the banks between here in December or here in March next year. So what that means to me, we've got this disconnect between the official rates, the wholesale pricing of money to the banks, and the retail rates to consumers. This is very rare, but this is at a time when the fixed rate that lenders will offer you, which is based on the wholesale cost of funding plus what they call the swap, swap pricing, um, where it probably is much lower than it should be. It's rare that fixed rates are better than variable rates. Um, what I mean by that, the fixed rate bet, in other words, having a bet is should I take a fixed rate compared to holding my variable rate, it's rare that that bet actually, actually is in the favour of a consumer. But when you've got wholesale rates going down and you've got retail rates going up, you can get this sort of what they call an arbitrage. And I got a feeling that now is a good time to look at fixing your rate, right now. So I saw a fixed rate the other day for 3.99, which is lower than any variable rate and it was a three-year fixed rate. I'm not going to say who it was. I'm not going to give them a free kick. Um, but if you hunt some fixed rates now, you'll see some great deals out there. And if, if, if what I said is correct, we're not going to see any more rate reductions, then you should fix your rate or tap, take part fixed, part variable. So if I was you, I'd be going to my lender and I'd be saying, okay, what's your fixed rate? What sort of part fixed, part variable deal can you do? Ask them what the repayment is going to look like and make a decision around that. The other thing I want to talk about quickly is the volatility in the market. Look, I wouldn't have a clue whether or not, you know, the Chinese market is going to recover, you know, the US market, which fell last night. How many points, Nick? Four and a half to five percent. Five percent. Overnight. Like, that's a crazy uh, reduction in, in one night. What's the ASX looking like? Oh, it's around tracking around the 5,000 level, down from about what it's been trading levels across the you know, year to date have been around 5,600, so... 
And well, and we almost we almost touched six thousand early on in the year. As and, well. and what's it uh, closing recently? Five five two five thousand two hundred. Uh, five thousand twenty five. So almost at five thousand. Okay. Well, like it's the, the, uh, 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 if you can sort of suspe- expect today a response by the Australian market to what's happened in the US, and you know, like as the old saying goes, if the US sneezes, we catch the flu. The markets. Um, I, I expect a big reduction today. In our, in our stock market. Now, there's no fundamentals about any of this. I mean, it's not because, well, people think there's fundamentals. The, the, the big guys who trade these stocks think there's a fundamental, but they're, they're speculating a fundamental. So uh, uh, we get volatility off the back of this. Everybody's trying to read markets. It's crazy. It's sort of like reading someone's palm. So the significance is, where, well, the only significance I can draw out of this is this. I would right now... And people ask me all the time, I wouldn't have any money, I wouldn't be investing any new money into the market. If I had money in the market, <clears throat> I'd just stay put, assuming we're in non, non-speculative sort of stocks and we're in good quality stocks that pay dividends, et cetera, and I would ride this out. But I wouldn't be putting any money into the market right now because you never know whether you're paying too much or you're paying too less. I mean, a lot of people sort of say, well, now's the time to jump in the market um, because the market's been smashed. What about buying the banks with their net interest margins increasing, like you said before? Well, the, the banks are going to be chasing um, – uh, the banks are going to be trying to maintain their yields because the volumes are down, one, and they've got to increase their – so the only way to maintain your profit is increase your margin. That's, that's you know, it's either yeah. volume, small margin, or low volume, big margin, which is where the banks are now, lower volume, big margin. So banks will maintain, are going to try and maintain the yield, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> if you're the CEO of a bank, you're getting paid based on your share price. Your share price is reflected by the, the the return in the marketplace that you provide to your shareholders. So you know there's an incentive for the big bank guys to just jam the interest rate in everybody, jam the new margin in everybody. So I would say banks are probably a pretty good buy at the moment, Nick. But the question is, am I, will they be better by next month or next week with the volatility in the marketplace? So. My suggestion for punters, you know, this is not, I'm not talking to the day traders, you day traders, you know what you're doing. I'm not talking to the long-term investors, you know what you're doing. I'm talking to people who come back to me and say, to say oh, well, I'm saving for a deposit for a house and I'm only getting, you know, 2% from my bank. Should I be putting the money into the stock market, into that asset class? My view on that is no, because it's too volatile at the moment. Anything could happen and we're not in control of any of this sort of stuff. And, and I think the, the worst thing about this is, What's going on in China is reflecting around the world, the Chinese stock market. And for once, we have no transparency of what's going on in the Chinese stock market. Like, it's one of those stock markets you wouldn't have a clue what's going on. It's un- largely unregulated relative to the rest of the markets in the world. It's a new market. The Asian markets, they're very big gamblers, they're, very, they're big speculators, and they'll have big punts on stuff. You don't know whether it's being manipulated or not. There's people getting arrested over there at the moment, left, right, and centre for, you know, allegedly spiking the stock market. And there's all these other people in there who are, who are short, shorting the market. So it's just like a, it's a cesspit. And what happens in China is going to reflect in all the other markets around the world. So this is a pretty serious situation. I'm not saying China's got a problem, like economically. I mean, that's, we're just talking about their stock market. We're not talking about China. Um, China's still got a consumer-driven economy, and over time it will be pretty good. But what I'm t- talking about is investing in our stock market and and the risk of vol- the volatility risk you're taking, which is largely driven by an unregulated market that's going on in China, so that's my position. Um, I just don't, I think it's just too risky as, as an asset class. I would not not invest in today shares. Now that doesn't mean I, I've got I have shares, and one of the questions comes up all the time, and Jake just asked the question early on: well, where do I invest my money? And uh, you know, well, my view in life is. Uh, Given you know, and I think this is a new emergence of, of uh, people out there in the world. Uh, that's why I think that's one of the reasons why a whole lot of people now today are starting to say, "Well, I want to start up my own business." I think we're all sick to death of investing in other people's assets, other people's asset classes, and not having any control of it. Now there are too many alternatives. You know, why wouldn't you invest in yourself, Jake? If you got any spare money, mate, invest in your own business, build your own business. I have, and what do I do with the money that the business is making? Reinvest it back into the business. Mm. Hire another Jake to help you. Expand yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Nick, you're the same. You invest your money in your own business. <clears throat> invest in my own business and projects that I can control myself. Um, as you said, you know, putting um, putting money in uh, things that are volatile and in um, um, that other people control, and putting your money in other people's destiny. It's a you know, it's a risk, complete risk. 
It's a, and it's a risk there's no, you don't need to take. Yeah. Today we can actually have our own business. <clears throat> and I, you know, I, mean, I, and like, I think you said, Nick Bora said, like, if you lose the money, you're going to get yourself to blame. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no point being in a business where you've got to blame somebody else. And Jess, you said put in a property. And, and that's, the, that's the old adage. I mean, property is a, is, whilst it's not your own business, is more controllable than any other asset class because you can see it. You can actually live in it, which is pretty good. Um, and what the amount you spend, you can make the decision in terms of taste. Um, you can sort of say, well, I think I should have a, an extra veranda at the back and it should look like this. Um, at least it'll suit your taste. You'll think it looks pretty good. <laughs> Mine not th- but no one else might think it looks any good, but at least you'll satisfy one person. Putting your money into uh, someone else's uh, listed entity, if you, don't have, if you have other alternatives, I think um, is dangerous in volatile times. And we've had volatility now for a couple of years um, and there's nothing worse than volatility. It gives you uh, brain damage, you know, like you're laying in bed at night thinking about it. I mean, imagine waking up this morning and seeing that the US market's off 4%. And, you know, and I've been through this process when I G shares, like, which is totally uncontrollable. Um, you know, I invested in the world's largest company who'd paid a dividend for something like 60 years. It's the only, and it never, at every quarter had increased its dividend and never missed a quarter of dividend paying. You'd have to say it was like the safest stock in the world, General Electric. You'd have to say it was, you know, they're making something like $22 billion a year profits after tax, like crazy amount of money. They they were the only company from the original Dow Jones Index, which opened up in the 19th century, 1850 or something, who was still on the Dow Jones Index, AAA rated. And one day I saw it free fall from $40 to $20 in one night. Um, and then Warren Buffett went and invested $2 billion in, into G the, the following week and it went from – and he invested the money at $22 and went from $22 to $6. Now, nothing had changed at GE. He was still making the same profit. Everything was the same. Investing in the same business, the same countries. But because people were starting to talk about emerging markets having a problem and uh, various other aspects in a financial market, financial service having various problems uh, – People just reacted against it. So it doesn't matter which stock you invest in, it can still be subject to the volatility. And, uh, you know, the, sh- the sharp ratio, which everyone often talks about, and Chris Joy is always talking about it from our uh, smarter money business, you know, is a great example of, uh, of uh, or a mathematical example of uh, how and what asset classes you, you should invest in. And, you know, one of, to some extent, we, we say at Yellow Brick Road, you should always just leave your money in. Um, savings, and what I mean by that is uh, bank-type stocks, bank bonds I'm talking about, not bank shares, but bank bonds, money on deposit, term deposits, et cetera. Because in terms of the volatility factor, these guys, over uh, those asset classes over time give you a bit of return. What if yes. you're prepared to make a risk, though? Well, take if, a gamble. if you want to take the risk, go for it. But, you better, but, you know, risk is about... A, a, a risk. What, are you, what are you saying with the sharp ratio, though, is you should invest in an investment that's where the risk is proportionate to the reward. Yeah, like yeah, obviously yeah. if you go risk, if you yeah. go invest in shares and just startups, yeah. you're probably not going to go so great. But yeah. you know, looking at so an, un, a, a, not a well, an un, undiversified portfolio of shares, for instance, yeah. wouldn't be on the optimal sharp rate. It wouldn't be on the highest sharp ratio. So it's yeah. probably a bad investment to to have a punt at one or two stocks. Mm. And isn't like. I don't know, isn't the housing market, can't that be volatile as well? Like, I'm, I'm looking Absolutely. at what, what interest rates are going to do. Is Sydney in a housing it's, it's bubble? It's volatile, or? but it's not volatile on a daily basis. Ah. So, so the, you know, and, and the issue becomes down to, let's say you're investing your money to, to build a savings for, for a deposit for a house. Okay? Yeah. And you say, okay, I've got my money in the bank, I'm going to go and have a punt on some of that money. Let's say you need the money to settle in five weeks' time, ten weeks' time. Um, the stock market is volatile on a minute-by-minute minute basis. <laughs> Um, whereas the housing market's not, it creeps up on you a bit, you know, like it's, it's, it's a slow build. Um, you, you probably, you're taking a far greater risk on the stock market than you are into an asset class called the housing market on a daily basis. So the shorter your time period, the volatility becomes really important because you don't want to cash in in five weeks' time the stock market on that particular day does what it's going to do today. Let's say you had to sell your shares today to settle on your property on Friday yeah. or that's what's today's Wednesday, say Monday next week and you had to sell your stocks today. No matter what, you had to sell your shares today and the Australian market falls by 4% and your shares cop it by 
for some reason, you know, you just mm. haven't been on the wrong stock. You know, you could be in the G stock. Um, that's volatility. That's how volatility will really hurt you. It's just so frustrating seeing that the only way for just, you know, like an everyday punter to invest is in property. Like it seems like the only um, way. Except for term, like the term deposits and keeping your money. But it's not the, the, it's not the only way. Um, it, it's, it's, it, but I'm talking about in terms of volatility. I mean, you yeah. can take a risk. Mm. Just, just be careful with property as well, though, because it is a levered investment. So if you're only putting 10% down on a million-dollar property, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, if you put the whole million dollars down yeah, and, you, and the property, com- property comes off 6%, you've only lost $60,000, 6% of your investment. But if you're putting down $100,000 and, lo- and the property comes off by 6%, you've lost 60% of your investment. So yeah. just, just be careful. I mean, there, the, in a relative sense, gearing can magnify the effect of your gains or losses. So take that into consideration as well when investing in property. Cool, thanks. And I wouldn't be borrowing too much against shares either to go and buy shares. I wouldn't be borrowing. I mean, I, I, I just think that's, I mean, in terms of making money, you make a lot of money that way when markets go in the other direction. But in the current environments... Speaking that, from experience? Speaking from experience, <laughs> absolutely. It can really hurt. Yeah. It can smash you to pieces, like literally smash you to pieces overnight, especially if you get called on your margin. That, that's, it's, 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 it's brutal. Mark, it's interesting what you say about more and more people wanting to start their own business and going back to quite a few podcasts ago where you said, you know, your greatest asset is the ability to work hard, you know, mm-hmm. and controlling your own destiny is, I mean, it's coming more prevalent these days that more and more people are wanting to do their own thing, you know. Um, yeah. So, but it goes, yeah, it does go back to, you know, your, your greatest asset being you, you know, and, and your ability to work. So, And if you know how to invest in yourself, in other words, not only your time but any spare money into your business, yeah. assuming your business is a good idea or is a good business, a reasonable business. And for me, that's always been the thing I invest in. And every time I've invested outside of my own business, I have made a good decision. That's just, that's just how I operate. I've, I've always made the best decision investing in my own stuff. And I can work harder than anyone's going to work who I'm investing. So if I invest money in, you know, this listed public company, I take the view that I can work harder than those individuals. That's just whether it's right or wrong. I just take the view and I will work harder than them because I just will do that. And therefore I should get a better return on the dollars I invest in myself. That's, that's me. Not everybody wants to do that. A lot of people don't want to work hard. They'd rather just say, oh, well, put some money here and put some money there and I'm just going to chill and just see it all grow really quickly and I'm going to have a great life. That assumes um, you're as good as they are as well. Yeah, correct. <laughs> well, absolutely, I should do that. That's a presumption, mate. That's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's basic. Um, but, I mean, you've got, but you've also got to have that attitude. You've got to think you're as good yeah. as everybody else. I mean, if you don't think you're as good as everybody else, there's no point because, you, you know, you won't perform. But I, I, I just think there's a new phenomenon arising in the world today mm. with people sort of saying, I'd rather back myself. It's just this volatility has been going on for too long now. And people are just getting smashed about the place. It's, it's like being in a boat in the middle of the ocean and, you know, one day it's calm, the next day it's just massively, you know, stormy and you're just, you know, you're hitting your head on the side all the time. You think, so I want to just get back on bloody dry land and just get a steady and steady myself, you know. You know that's, that's sort of how, that's the analogy I, can, I see in my head. Mm. I, I, it's been going on now since, you know, 2008. That's a long time. We've just got no control over these things. So... What's going on in terms of the volatility of the stock market? Expect a rough day today, but and I think more rough days going ahead. And also, when you when you take go back and just look at the reserve, I just said about the Reserve Bank. The reserve Bank can't, can't save us at the moment because they're sort of going against the system too, and the system is actually trying to build itself around creating financial stability. As a result of creating financial stability, we've got this decoupling of banks away from the Reserve Bank, so we're not even going to get the benefit of a rate reduction now. And there's, that's more volatility. What's on my mind? Nick, incubators, mate. What do you got to say about all this? Cool. And uh, just quickly, I just want to correct something I said <coughs> earlier. I think I mentioned indice falling north of 4%. It was around 35 to 4%, which is still huge for a major American index. Um, so, yeah, look, I, more and more of these incubators, interesting incubators are popping up around Sydney. And, you know, it's the question that, you know, a lot of startup founders are asking themselves whether to uh, join or not join an incubator. So I thought I'd take a quick look at, um, at a, a few of the pros and cons, um, what to expect upon joining and a couple of the success stories just to sort of 
help determine, you know, for startup founders out there, help them to determine um, the value in joining an incubator. So I guess, you know, first and foremost, you know, on the pro side as well, because, you know, I think what these guys are doing out there is a positive thing. Um, you know, there are... The incubator, owner, the incubator owners you're talking about. Yeah, I think, you know, their existence is positive, you know, for, for the startup um, world. Um, whether or not, you know, it's right for you know, business X to join an incubator is on a case-by-case basis. So it'll, it'll, it'll all depend on your business and how, I guess, you weight some of the uh, some of the pros and cons that I'm about to talk about. So I guess on the pros side... I was just going to say, maybe, sure. maybe for the uninitiated, you could explain exactly what the incubator does. Yeah, sure. So it's... it's I guess they're, they're set up to support... Um, the word incubate is to nurture, you know, and to, and to sort of help grow... Um, startup businesses, and they've got a they've got a specific sort of format for doing that. So, um, you know, they they generally start with a shared office space where they provide you know your overheads, um, professional services, mentorship, um, advice, investment, um, access to clients, access to institutional investment, all sort all the sorts of things that a startup founder would have to go and find on their own without the help of an incubator. Also, a community. And a community, yeah. So uh, there are a few, a couple of things that I've that I've missed, and I'll, and I'll probably cover them when you know when I go through the pros and cons. But you know, I think you know them turning up in the market has has been a positive, you know, a, a positive benefit for the startup community. So um, I guess, but you know, it's not for everybody, and and I you know I hope that I can you know a lot of people are asking themselves whether or not they'll get value out of joining an incubator. I personally didn't think so when I was running a startup um, you know rightly or wrongly you know you can only make a decision at, at time zero going forward so I guess you know you have to use your you know and there is no right or wrong answer um, looking forward I mean you just have to sort of go with your instincts at the time and, and try and work that out for yourselves but hopefully I can give you some sort of some some of the key points to sort of take away and think about before you make that decision um, and I hope over the coming weeks as well to sort of get out there and have a have a look around um, and, you know, talk to some of the resident startups of those incubators about what their experiences have been to date. Um, so just on the pros side, um, you know, first and foremost, they, you know, a lot of these guys do invest in the business. So they, they give you money, whether it's in the form of equity capital or a low interest loan or, or just a cash gift. You know, there are some, you know, government subsidised incubators out there. I think the Sydney Uni does one called Incubate and, you know, they just give you money. Um, because it's they want you in there and they, you know, it's a it's a philanthropic, you know, uh, how do you get charitable cho- type How do you get chosen to get in that one? Do they choose you? They choose you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's important to remember that they are selective. Um, you know, you can't just put your hand up and join. You have to be an interesting startup that they feel like and, and a suitable startup as well. A lot of these incubators have a flavour to them. Um, like tech. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, if they don't think that they can help you, they're probably not going to recommend that you join. Um so, yeah, so, I mean, and, and, you know, investment's obviously a great thing. Um, you know, you can do, you know, lots of things with money. Um, you know, money, you know, if spent well, generally equals growth, which is what, you know, most startups should be striving towards. But I guess they, uh, when they hand your money over, whether it's in a form of a gift, loan or equity, that they will specify how they want you to spend it anyway. Or they'll at least ask you how you're going to spend it. Yeah, look, I want to know what you're going to do with it. But um, look, I've I've heard from you know friends. I've got a friend that runs one. In fact, the guy that runs the Sydney Uni one, I've I've, I've met with a couple of times, and you know they're generally pretty. Um, what's the word? Uh, laissez-faire with uh, how they you know how they run the startups there. I mean, generally they leave them to their own devices to run them how they see fit. Um, but they do want to, they do, you're right, they do want you to set out your objectives and they do want you to hit those objectives as well throughout the incubation cycle, which is generally around three to six months. So, um, I guess secondly, you know, inve- you know, as a follow on from investment, they give you, you know, investment networks. So, you know, at the end of your incubation period, you probably want a larger sum of money to continue growing your business. Um, you know, access to institutional invest- investors for, you know, Series A, B, C funding. Um, we generally call those investors in, in that part of the market venture capitalists. So um, incubators, um, some of the good ones at least, have a pretty good network of institutional investors set up for you to sort of showcase your business to and potentially gain further investment from them. 
Um, low overhead. Uh, I mentioned to Jess that they do provide office um, infrastructure. So, you know, they computers, internet, printers, scanners, um, access to um, professional services, so legal and accounting and those types of services. Um, I think Telstra, you know, uh, their incubator, Muro D, they give you um, pretty pretty sort of good all access to, you know, everything that the, the larger sort of corporate business has access to. So, you know, pretty powerful um, resources there at your disposal, you know, d- you know, d- when joining up to an incubator that's backed by, you know, a large business like Telstra. Um, yeah, cause you're always going to need a lawyer for a structure. You're going to need a absolutely, and it's tax advice, structural and advice. And it's, you know, well, uh, I'll, I'll use less colorful language than you usually do dad, but pretty damn expensive. Um, Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, Staffing supports. So, you know, I met with a, a startup a couple of weeks ago and he's a resident at an incubator and, and he, a lot of the, the tech resources on his team, I asked him what his headcount was for his business. And, you know, it's pretty much just, you know, organically within the business, it's him and one other guy and all of the technical resources. So the front end, back end coders, you know, um, graphic designers, everyone that's helped him build um, his website to date has been, you know, provided by the incubator. So, which incubator? You don't know what incubator? Uh, Digital Forge was the name of the incubator. Right. So they're, they're yeah. providing uh, all the yeah <clears throat> all the coders and everything, all the all the developers. Yeah, I mean, a lot, yeah, most of the staff that he's used to build um, his platform to date have been provided by the incubator. So the incubator pays the the software developer, for example. Yeah, he doesn't. Have to pay. Yeah, correct. And and architects, so. So, software architecture? Yeah, I mean, you know, depends, larger, on, it is, I guess. depends on what the project is. Yeah, larger yeah. IT projects need architects. Um, yeah. I mean, they just sort of gave them some programmers, basically, front-end and back-end guys. So, guys, so, front-end guys make the site look pretty and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, make it all functional. Yeah, um, yeah. And the back-end guys are sort of, you know, what's coming out of you Doing know, the real deal. The data that's coming out of the server. So, you know, I mean, the, the question that's looming in my head, Nick, as you're going on is uh, why is incubator being incubator owner being so generous? So nice. Yeah, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> um, client access. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the potential <coughs> clients that you'll have can come from you know the incubator networks that um, that you have when being a resident at a, at an incubator. So, um, you know, a couple of the campaigns that this bloke had run, um, the clients I think had come through um, the owners of the incubator, um, which I, I you know I mean that's obviously a positive. I mean road testing your, your business and your concept and, and, you know, getting your first customers is integral for um, the launch of any business. Um, it gets your name out there. It gives you uh, – it helps you prove your concept and it gives you a portfolio to show um, future other future potential clients. So, you know, definitely a, a big benefit there. Um, I guess the other thing is as well is, you know, it provides an inspiring environment to be around. So, you know, you're in a space with, you know um, – eight or nine, possibly 10 other um, startups, guys that you can um, talk to, um, lean on for support, um, bounce ideas back and forth off of, um, and I guess gain motivation from their success. also. Yeah, exactly right. Um, um, credibility. Uh, credibility is definitely, uh, you know, being part of certain incubators does give you a good endorsement, you know, uh, in the general business landscape, so some general is it so so create some yeah, status. I guess look, I guess um, yeah, exactly status. And I guess the best example is, is not actually an Aussie incubator, but an American one. Y Combinator is probably one of the most famous. I mean, they're responsible for businesses like Airbnb, um, uh, Code Academy, um, uh, Dropbox. Um, you know, businesses that are uber successes. You know, and you know, having them attached to your business as being. You, as as we mentioned before, that they are selective, so they picked. If they pick you, it's a solid endorsement of your business. Um, so, Do we have anyone like that here in Australia? Look, a couple. Yeah, a couple of them are. Uh, I mean, you know, the guys that have been around for a while, certainly. So, you know, Polonizer is is, is probably one, was one of the first, and um, probably one of the biggest to, um, in Sydney to date. Um, I'm pretty sure they're in Sydney. I'll double check that. Um, they've got a pretty good reputation for backing. Um, pretty good startups. So, you know, to have them attached to your business as, as being the place where you sort of, where you grew it and nurtured it is, is, is can be a benefit. Um, and they take, I guess, you know, they, they run these things called accelerator programs, which is basically a programmatic 
format for you developing your business. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of startups sort of take a very, um, you know, do tasks, you know, if and if and where um, suitable to do so, um, where it might not not necessarily be the right order to do things. So, I mean, they an example, for instance, would be. You know the Telstra Murray program. So they take you know they take you through a week of intensive intensive training that covers all the basics. Um, I'm guessing you know business basics. Um, a lot of startup founders are technical founders. So they don't have a business background. Um, the boring stuff. Yeah, exactly. But I mean the necessary stuff also. Mm. I mean they are you know they they're not just um, mm. tech guys anymore. They're, they're they're business owners and managers. So they need to know those things. Um, they get you to map out your milestones. So, you know, get you to set some, you know, hard objectives that you need to hit during your time at the incubator. Um, they match you to mentors. They provide you with um, networking and, uh, and investment possibilities. And then it sort of all culminates in a, in a demo night, you know, a, a, a time for you to sort of showcase what you've done to date and present to investors, potential investors. So I guess, you know, the flip side of the um, – of the pros is the cons. I mean, every, I mean, whilst these whilst these benefits are all great and uh, and useful, they do come at a cost. Here we go. So, um, you know, the flip side to investment is is dilution. You know, and uh, in some cases it can be pretty dramatic. Um, I, I I've met startups um, within incubators before that have given up seventy percent of their businesses. So what you're saying here is that um, in return for being able to be part of this incubator program, you give 70% of your equity away to the incubator owner. That's right, yeah. That's heavy. It is, <clears> you know, and I mean, you know, he, he didn't seem all that unhappy about it. Um, I think, you know, for him, and it all depends, you know, I mean, dilution is an interesting thing. Um, you know, I like to look at it as a reduction in the value of your, of, of your shares. So, I mean, it doesn't matter that he now has 30% of his business. It matters whether or not that 30% is worth more or yeah. dramatically more yeah. than the 100% when he, yeah. when he, before he went into the incubator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, he, he obviously, you know. He say he owns 100% of the original exactly. value. Exactly. Yeah. Small slice of something versus big slice of nothing. Now, I think we should pause there for a second because that's an important concept. Um, we can say that if the business is worth $100 and I own 100% of that before I go to the incubator and then the incubator says to me, look, I want 70% of the action. Yeah. Um, there's two, $20 of value. That's well, there's two ways to look at it. Yeah. Uh, one way to look at it is uh, the incubator's stolen $70 off me but I've only now got 30 mm. out of the 100 Or another way of looking at it is uh, the business is now worth – I won't do the maths, but let's say now worth 200 because I've actually entered into that incubator and it's going to make my great idea become an actual business. And uh, I've got uh, 30% of that, which is uh, 60 bucks, and he's got $140. So I've actually doubled – I've only lost $40. And you can do, do the maths. You could take it up to 300 yep, yep. So the question is, can, what do you think it's worth, I mean, by yep. walking into the incubator? Yeah. But just on that 70%, uh, analysis you just gave me, it has to be a pretty dramatic increase as a result of entering into the incubation mm. for you to maintain, only holding 30% to actually be able to make that justified. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <clears throat> um, second, I guess the, another sort of follow-on from dilution is another, I guess, cost of, 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 of the investment it comes in the way of uh, encumbrances or restrictions that are placed on your business as a result of, of the investment. And look, these aren't you know these aren't all terrible, terribly bad things. I mean, you know, we can understand it from the let's just look at it from the investors' point of view. They need to protect their investment. They're you know early stage investors. <coughs> your, your business is probably the riskiest thing that out there at the at, you know for, in, in any asset class to them. So they need to protect the value of what they're investing in. So. Some of these encumbrances look like um, veto rights. Explain what veto rights. Veto right is basically the right to reject any decision that the the founder or manager of the business may have about running the business. Yeah. So what they normally do, just to, just to quickly explain that, that that doesn't mean that they <clears throat> have voting rights. In other words, they don't necessarily vote, but they have the ability to say no. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. But basically, that means that every decision you make, or not every decision you make, they generally speaking. Um, Categorise the decisions into gold and silver and bronze type decisions, and uh, and they might have a veto right in the gold class decisions. So they might say every time you have a need to make a decision on this topic within your business, no matter what decision you make, you the owner, I have the right to reject it. 
Yeah. They can actually stifle your business. Absolutely. I mean, you know, trying to do business with one hand tied behind your back is, is sometimes the effect of, of these encumbrances. So, you know, other ones include, you know, drag-along rights, tag-along rights. So a drag-along right quickly is just, you know, the ability of the of the drag, and I'll, I'll illustrate with an example in a second, but the drag-along majority to force the drag-along minority to sell their shares in the event of a takeover. So, you know, if, I, if I've defined the drag-along majority as 30%, all I need is to get... I, it might just be me, it might be me and somebody else who, who add up to 30% of the business to, to accept a sale offer and I can force the minority, might be 70, the minority might be defined as the remaining 70% to sell their share of the business as well. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's there to protect, you know, uh, the investors in the case of, of a really good takeover offer where, you know, stubborn startup founders are having delusions of value and can't see a good offer when they see it. Um, when it comes along, I should say. Um, but, you know, the flip side of that might be, you know, the, the startup founder might, might think there's, you know, plenty of uh, runway left to go in the business and doesn't think it's a good idea to sell at whatever point in time the takeover offer comes along and you know, they could be forced to do it um, by the investor or by the, the incubator in this case. Um, Tag-along rights, uh, you know, the right to... Um, Tag along. To tag along to yeah, if if I've got sixty percent and you know the um, the the takeover offer is only for sixty percent, I have to include whoever's got the tag along rights in that sixty percent sale. Uh, preemptive or first rights, so you know if I if I want to sell my, if if the start, if, if me the startup founder wants to sell my shares, I might have to give the first right of refusal to um, the investor to buy them off me before I give it before I sell it to anybody else. And last could be first and last. First and last. There first you go. and last rights, which <clears throat> can be a problem because it yep. means that no one else else externally is ever going to bid for your stock because they always know they're going to get outbid. Yep. Which means it sort of puts a cap on your valuation. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> not, you know, last but not least, non-dilutionary rights. You know, I so, say you know they might take the seventy percent off you and say, listen, we're not we're, we're not prepared to 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 go below seventy percent for any future investment. Um, Which again puts a cap on the value. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't find other investors. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so, so what you're saying, Nick, is you need a lawyer. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, yeah. problem, and the problem is the incubator yeah. always provides a lawyer. So, um, I, and, and I think the, I mean, you've been down this track and as a young bloke. I remember you ringing me a few times in your own business and, uh, you know, you all, I went and ended up talking to Uncle a few times. Yep. That's my brother, um, to get advice on these things. Uh, they're pretty serious matters because it actually takes your, your eye off the ball in terms of running the business, developing the business, and you can spend months thinking about this sort of stuff mm. and trying to work on it and arm wrestling. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, incubator uh, – sorry, the uh, startup owners haven't got a second to waste on anything, to be frank mm. with you. Now, on one hand, you can sort of say, well, the incubator provides someone to give you all this advice, yep. but equally the reason you're going to need the advice is because the incubator is asking you for these things in the first place. Yep. So these things could be a um, – you know, they, they become a – self-prophesizing sort of situation. Mm-hmm. So whenever, as Nick's saying, whenever you go under the incubator, you've got to go in with your eyes open. You know, it's complex. It's not just a simple matter, oh, wow, so cool. Someone's offered me to come into their incubator and they give me this document to sign uh, and you say to your partner, oh, let's just sign it and just get on with it because it's much more complex than that because you might spend two years or you know, a year there and another year later building this brilliant thing and all of a sudden you find you've got this agreement you've been stuck with stuck with since day one and all of a sudden a lot of the value just bites disappears. Yeah, mm. bites you in the ass, absolutely. And uh, it happens all the time, oh. all the time. But equally, mm. if you don't get into the incubator, it might be just a matter of I'm never going to get there anyway on my own, ever. So I might as well just at least give 50% away or 70% away because I'm better off having 50 or 30% of something than having 100% of nothing. Some people it's not about... Um, you know the economics of it either. They just want to get it built. You know, and they you know they've got very sort of noble reasons for doing things, and they don't place a large degree of value on having huge amounts of equity in the company that they founded. Except for when it becomes valuable. <laughs> Nick, I'm actually looking forward to you bringing some of this back to the show because all the components you spoke about then of you know access to infrastructure and access to capital and workspace and to actually find out what's the most important. You know, we yeah. talk at the end of saying as we've been doing through this show, through Eagle's Nest, of actually facilitating introductions to people. And I find that in terms of mentorship and just actually, you know, which we're, we're going to be doing the next couple of weeks of reporting back on things we've been successful with the Eagle's Nest to date. Um, but just facilitating that, facilitating that introduction to the right people. And obviously people don't have access to that. 
Um, I see things like access to accounting and access to legal and access to a workspace and computers and printers. You know, that they're obviously important things with growing a business, but mm. it's interesting but that, they're that, worth 50%. That, that, that that pointy end of it of saying who who's going to end up being, you know, my 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 saviour at the end. Is it going to be, you know, that start at the, the stuff of the, the the stuff or the the end pointy game. So that might be a good time for me to say if there are any um, managers of incubators out there, feel free to um, get in contact with us. Um, email address is mb at markboris.com.au. Um, if you want to, if you, if, you know, I'll, I'll probably find you in any case, but if you wanted to get to me first, he's looking for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you wanted to get to me first and offer up your, um, your incubator as a, a you know, as a, to, to showcase your incubator to the Mark Boris show, definitely be interested. Well, it's sort of interesting too. I, I just wonder, I mean, as, as incubators evolve, I mean, this is obviously an evolving market, but as they evolve, I wonder whether we're going to get competition in the incubator market whereby, I mean, it sounds like some sort of sci-fi movie does an incubation, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, a, a competition in the incubator market, you know, uh, whereby they start to say, okay, if you're just coming in for computer ac- uh, IT access and for uh, connectivity, you know, like, you know, internet access, et cetera, and if you're just coming in for space, then the maximum you ever have to give away is 5%. Yep. And they start to tier the things that you get yep. and put a different percent equity value on the different things that you're going to get. If you, But if you want mentorship and access to our community whereby you're going to find investors, that's a 20% hit. And I can just see an evolution in incubators and, uh, um, you know, this – and I think we're at an exciting sort of part of the, the curve. Like, and, and who knows how much money that this guy who gave away 70%, 70% got. You know, he could have gotten – he could have gotten 70% um, worth of the value of the business. You know, you yeah, yeah, know, yeah. You know, like, so – But he bought a package. Yeah, correct. And, and, I, th- and I think that's the point. You know, I mean, the greatest way to hide – Things is actually packaging it up, <laughs> and I, for me, I would want them to break it down. You know, yeah. like, uh, and I. My, What's the network uh, worth? What's correct, the cash worth? Correct. What's, yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, I, and I, that's going to be interesting to see yeah, yeah. whether any incubators actually have evolved into that into that status at this stage, or whether or not that's an opportunity for some smart incubator guy out there yeah. and knows what I'm thinking about this. Um, uh, you know, like, how do you uh, decouple? Which is sort of what we do in the mortgage business. I mean, I, I've always run businesses which smash other businesses because I actually destructure or re- reconstruct the pricing that they offer to their to their consumers or their 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 audience. And uh, be interesting to see Nick what you come up with whether or not we can, there's something we can actually deconstruct. And so, and it, yeah, and look, you know, there are definitely some some really huge success stories out of incubators as well. Like why I mentioned Y Combinator in Silicon Valley. I mean, they're responsible for Dropbox. They've got a you know, last. Um, Round of funding they did gave them a post money valuation of ten billion. Um, you know you've got Airbnb, uh, twenty five billion dollar valuation. Um, I love that. Business, you know Airbnb. Reddit, half a billion dollar valuation. I mean there's some superstar businesses, and you know a lot of these guys credit their success to their foundations being the incubator. Yeah, and but that's an interesting point because I had to make speech. I said what's interesting about that is that. I think all of us who have this great idea and want to turn it into a business model think we, we all want to be Airbnb or, or you know, or Uber, et cetera. You know, yeah, we, yeah. That's what we all want to be. But there's like every every 10,000 there's one. Yeah. Um, what what we probably aren't asking ourselves is do we want to be one of the 9,999? No, definitely not. Yeah. And But the problem is you're probably – the 9,999 are probably giving away the same amount of things as the one in 10,000. And but it's all right if you give away fifty percent of the farm and you become worth twenty five billion because it doesn't really matter. It's all just you know boogie you know it's boogie numbers. You know it's irrelevant. You know if I'm going to make you know twelve billion or thirteen or fourteen billion it doesn't make much difference. But if you're only going to be if you're going to give away fifty percent and you're only going to make twenty thousand after all your effort over a couple of years, it makes a big difference. Yeah. So it's um, it's sort of sounds like it's. Uh, what we used to call Rafferty's rules, you know, many, many years ago. Like it's it's not – it's all over the shop and I'd be interested to know whether or not we have some structure out there. Mm. And do people actually think this through or actually everybody just think they're going to be the next Airbnb? Yep. That's, that's, that's the issue. And, and maybe what we need to have is courses. I mean, maybe the government needs to start to put up courses. We, maybe we shouldn't – free courses where, you know, incubator uh, – sorry, uh, startups should not be charged 10% of their equity or 20% of their, or more of their equity just to know some fundamental stuff about how I uh, run a business. Mm. You know, what, what do I need? You know, government should be given, providing connectivity in my view. You know, Joe Hockey, listen to this. 
you should be providing connectivity to incubators, uh, to uh, people who need to go to incubators, to startups, because they're the people who are going to employ people. And that's what you need. You need a, a employment in this country, more employment, more employment opportunity, but more importantly, new employment opportunities, new new styles of employment. High-skilled labour. Correct. New stuff because, yeah. you know, people who deliver letters, are, you know, the postman's going out of business for a whole lot of reasons, technological yeah. reasons. Where do the new postman, where do the people who would ordinarily become postmen, where do they go and work? Well, these startups are the people who are going to employ them. Mm. We need these startups to employ the new postman. Absolutely. But that's a, to me, that's a government obligation. It shouldn't be because whilst every, it's a bit like drug dealing, right? <laughs> if you're a drug, if if the government allows a drug dealer, if if people want heroin, and if the government doesn't supply and manage the heroin, the people are going to go to the drug dealer, and the drug dealer is going to rip them because he's got the opportunity to do it. And this question of whether or not governments, like they do in Europe, should actually run the drug industry so that it doesn't become full of bad drug dealers who are actually ripping the, you know, the drug consumer off. Mm. Um, as making a, them sick. Making them sick or yeah. ju- and then and creating a whole lot of inequitable environments mm. around what the consumer is doing for drugs. The same could apply if governments don't start to intervene in relation to startups mm. because I'm sure there's a lot of great startups, uh, great incubators around for startups, but I bet you any money there's a lot of shysters around there and a lot of people sort of pretending to be the new incubator. Yeah. And they're just in there to uh, feather their own nest and, uh, and and actually rip people off wherever they can. And that's what I'm worried about in the evolution of incubators. And the exciting thing, I suppose, for our listeners as well is that over the next month, um, we're going to have some pretty exciting developments in terms of what we're going to be doing in this space with Eagle's Nest. Correct. And, and again, this is a, Eagle's Nest is not only about nurturing, but it's about stopping people getting knocked, stopping people getting ripped off. Because we can see, you know, given what um, Shark's Tank does, and given that there are also incubators out there who probably aren't going to do the right thing, mm. well, what we can see is a, a need for a level playing field for startups around Australia and entrepreneurs around Australia and small business owners around Australia, which as everything evolves, there's going to be more and more people are going to be getting nailed by these uh, uh, poor form organisations. And, and this is what we're talking about to Bruce Bilson about. I mean, how can you sort of loosen up crowdfunding and all that sort of stuff? We've got to start to do something about these these environments, and that's what Eagles, Eagles is designed to do: is actually help people out, and make sure that they get ripped off, um, make sure they get a, a a good opportunity to nurture themselves. And what would be great if Nick, if you can find some great incubators, maybe at Eagles Nest, if people pitch to us and it's a good pitch, we might actually send them to those incubators, mm. and maybe those incubators want to have a look at them. Yep, absolutely. If we find a decent one, yep. we, we might start. We could even have a, a recommended list. On our website, mm. of places you know that you've checked out that sort of look pretty good, like you know, made the grade, yeah, made the grade, yeah, and the grade will be determined by us. We will say, you know, yep. these are the sorts of things people should be looking for. Mm. Ask Mark, tweet Mark with your questions at Mark Boris, M A R K B O U R A S. Mark Peter Tran has sent in a question. He says, having achieved all that you have. How do you choose what to go for next or what challenges you would like to destroy? Um, well, I don't consider I've achieved... I, I, I don't, have, don't consider I've achieved a lot. So uh, that's someone else's observation of me. Um, I'm not into the sort of... I sit back and say, this is what I've achieved. I never do that. Um, so I don't therefore make that decision. Um, what am I going to do from here? Um, uh, I choose to do what I'm going to do based on what I just see in front of me and what I think is a good opportunity. Like just now, we're talking about incubators. I'm thinking of myself, or a, a new evolved incubator would be a good business. Um, Eagles Nest just come up as an idea one day. Um, this podcast come up as an idea one day when I was talking to Nick Fordham about it. Um, and uh, so I didn't actually sit down and sort of uh, do some purposeful analysis of the marketplace and say, okay, after the 25 things looked at, podcast seems to be the most interesting um, it was just a conversation and I thought, yeah, I can do that. So I don't and – I, and I don't go back and say, oh, this is what I've achieved, therefore I should go and do podcast. I just see podcasts as a, and this environment as being a good platform to play in sort of relevant and interesting spaces. So I'm always looking for relevant and interesting spaces where there's a bit of growth potential and something that's cool and interesting and fun to do as well. So – and – 
So I guess that's and, – and also something I can apply my skill base to. Um, financial services is always my go-to sort of environment because I understand financial services. That's why I do Yellow Brick Road. This here, what we're doing here is slightly different but it's got that ability to evolve and, you know, we're talking about – what we're talking about now is uh, – in today's show is, uh, is evolving the show and that's sort of uh, – that's what I like doing. That's cool. That's So that's probably the best, my best answer for him. I don't really go out and destroy anything. Um as I don't know what challenges I would like to destroy, but uh, yeah, I'm not into destruction, uh, Peter. I'm more into hopefully creation. I don't mind destroying my competitors, though, if I get opportunity. Looking forward, this is the week ahead. Okay, what's ahead of us, Jess? Uh, next week we have uh, GDP growth. Right. Actually, that's out tomorrow. We've got retail trade figures coming out. Next Tuesday, the big one that you like always like to look at is the NAB Business Confidence Survey. That comes out on Tuesday. And the next day is the Westpac Consumer Confidence Index. Okay. So GDP will be an interesting one tomorrow. I mean, when you see the Reserve Bank talking about the growth numbers, moderate growth, um, uh, but below trend, um, they're talking about what, what they're talking about is the number that comes out tomorrow, the GDP number. They don't know it before we do. By the way, Australian Bureau of Statistics does not supply them information before it supplies it to anybody else. So they get the same number tomorrow as we get. Um, and, you know, we'd like to see GDP annualised growth at 3.25. That's where the uh, Reserve Bank would like to be. That's where the government wants to be. That's where all the assumptions are when it comes to building the budget every year. Uh, it's around the 3% territory. And if we don't hit the 3% territory, then the budget will be in deficit. So if we're not running tomorrow um, at an annualised 3% rate, everyone's going to be worried. So, And I'll bet you any money is nowhere near it. So, uh, Which is another reason why I'm surprised that there was no rate reduction by the Reserve Bank yesterday. But I, in, in reflection, I think the reason there was no rate reduction yesterday is because notwithstanding the Reserve Bank thinks we probably should have rate reduction, they know it's not going to do anything because it's not going to get handed on because it's going to be held on to by the banks. So sort of very interesting uh, situation going on in our economy at the moment when you look at the regulatory environment, you look at the uh, RBA's policy, monetary policy, you look at the government's fiscal policy and then you look at the, the banking landscape and the power of the banking landscape and how they want to maintain their returns for their shareholders, which is, you know, that's their job, um, how all these things are interacting and how the dynamics are working. And uh, it's, it's quite unusual. It's, a, it's a, a weird world, but, you know, something we've all got to play in. I've got, I've got, to, away and go to, got to go away on work matters for 10 days, which, but that'll actually cover the next uh, two podcast periods. So I won't be doing the podcast, but what I will be doing is I'll be feeding back to our website a whole lot of insights and stuff that I'm seeing whilst I'll be in Europe and I'm in Asia as well. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever I travel, I got lots of time to think I'm sitting on airplanes for 20 odd hours. And, uh, generally speaking, there's some things that sort of can be sort of semi-inspirational to me or, or, you know, I'm reading stuff that I don't ordinarily read, um, particularly in Asia and, um, you know, like the, you know, like in Asia, you, I'll be in Singapore, so I'll be reading the things, you know, the, the Asia Wall Street Journal. And, uh, when I'm in Europe, I'm reading the Financial Times, which fair income is one of my absolute favorite newspapers. I love the Financial Times. Um, but they've got some great stories in there about what's going on in the world, and uh, and I try to extra- I'll try to extrapolate from that what I think is relevant for us here in Australia, and I'm going to feed it back onto our website. Um, and Jake here is going to set me up all the technology onto my laptop to make sure I do it properly. Right. Is that right, Jake? That's right. Okay, cool, man. Um, all right, so uh, I'm in the throes of my last. Uh, today is my last boardroom for the Celebrity Apprentice for 2015. So this is the final, final, final boardroom when someone wins a Celebrity Apprentice for 2015. I've got to do that in about three hours' time. I've been thinking all night about the two presentations that were made to me last night by the two finalists, which were very bloody good, very good. Uh, it's a tough one, diametrically opposed in, to, in terms of the way they, the, the, the two characters, but also in the way they approached um, their um, pitch to me in their presentation to me, and they presented to a live audience, actually. So uh, very interesting and uh, two deserved finalists. Um, and I think, I actually think the, sh- the show will be going to air before I even get back. Or, yeah, and, and I'm pretty much on the day I get back, I think, or the day I leave to get back. Um, I'll be in Singapore on the, on the night. So um, I'm really looking forward to the show coming up. Uh, it's a really interesting show. Um, I... Uh, uh, urge you to watch it. I'm not just saying it because I, you know I want the ratings up. I do want the ratings up, but uh, it's this is a pretty cool, cool group, and uh, you see some really good dramatic boardroom scenes.
anyway, good luck and uh, hope I'll see you back here all healthy in uh, 10 days. Cool. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Boris and find out more at markboris.com.au. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.